0: some great stuff for us as we look to the arrival of Christ. That's what Advent means. It's a special time in the modern church calendar where we pause to remember the birth of our Savior, the coming of the promised Messiah, as we're about to recount in just a moment in the Scripture. Um, This arrival is important to us. It changes everything. And I just pray that as we look to Jesus' birth this Christmas, there's some important things that God has for you. Uh, to grow you, to convict you, to move you with great clarity to what it means to belong to Him, and uh, we want to be faithful here at Disciples to really study and know God's Word. We want to put away tradition. We want to we want to serve our King as He's called us to in this Holy Word, and um, and practice authentic community and disciple making, raising a new generation for the glory of the Lord. Um, each week, we're going to light a new candle. Those major themes of Advent today, peace, in the coming weeks, love, hope, joy. And then on Christmas Eve at our special candlelight service, Christ candle, a sinner candle. Um, and so just looking forward to the season ahead. Thankful to have this time with you this morning. Pray that you're blessed uh, by it, um, rightly challenged as the Holy Spirit's moving mightily in your life. Um, I often say, Lord, don't leave us the way we came in. Uh, do your mighty work in us. Uh, to motivate, to convict, to to grow, inspire our hearts to, to authentically worship you and serve you with the days you give us. To kick things off this morning, I want to look at Jesus' words in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 34. It might strike you as a little unique, and I pray that, again, as we look to Christ's words himself, we'll be obedient and understanding what he means. Uh, look to this verse with me, Matthew 10, 34. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to earth. I have, come, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Let me remind you of our Advent reading from just moments ago. The promise of Prophet Isaiah chapter 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 tells God's old covenant people, Israel, that the promised Messiah would come as a child that, that would reign on the throne of David and, his, and of his reign there would be no end. It says he would be called the Prince of Peace. So why does the Prince of Peace, Jesus himself, say in Matthew 10, 34 that he did not come to bring peace to earth but instead to bring a sword? And the answer is because it was God's plan all along. And I hope to to be faithful to God's word this morning. Help us understand what God's doing in these things. That would all the more increase our worship of Him this Christmas season. To help us understand what's happening here, we have to go back to the beginning. The very beginning of this creation, of of our race, the human race. And see what happened at the fall. Genesis chapter 3. Here we find... God himself addressing the great deceiver, Satan, just after Adam and Eve had disobeyed God by choosing their own glory, by choosing sin and disobedience over God and all of his marvelous provision and commands upon them. Listen to what God says to Satan at this very critical moment in all of history. Genesis 3, verse 15. says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, And between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I'll put enmity between you and the woman. That word enmity is, it means mutual hatred. Ill will. War. Opposition. Animosity. The enmity here is not applied to God and Satan. No, he's speaking of war between the woman's race, the human race, and Satan, and his followers of demons. Because of Adam and Eve's choice to sin, mankind would now fight sin and battle with Satan's temptations and deceptions every day in this war-torn, fallen world. God next speaks of Satan's offspring, demons, and, and, and Eve's offspring mankind saying between your offspring and her offspring so again not only is there war between satan and adam and eve but that this battle would last through the generations of mankind paul speaks to this reality later in romans chapter 5 verse 12 therefore just as sin came into the world through one man speaking of adam and death through sin so death spread to all men because all sinned The original sin, the sickness of sin, the indwelling sin that's a part of our race, human race. The reality of the history of the human race is one of a constant testimony of man's enslavement to sin and self and our self-glory. Our constant giving to the temptations of the enemy. A most sobering scripture whereby... uh, we are clear to, sh- to be shown that this also results in in enmity with God. And we see this in a number of places. I'll give you a few. James 4.4 4, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship of the world is enmity with God? That because of our sin, we, we have a right separation from the Holy God. And, and until we are born again, until we have faith we, we don't do anything for the glory of God. We, we really are at war with Him. Romans 8, 7 The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, Paul says. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed it cannot. Why? Because mankind is enslaved to sin apart from new birth. Spiritual life that God gives. Saving faith. For all of history of creation and the human race... We have been a people at war. And when I say that, I don't just mean, uh, you know, guns and swords and tanks. That's part of it. But I mean spiritually. We're at war every day. There's a cosmic battle that's happening. Scripture is clear to speak of all around us all the time. And it's fueled by the sin of a fallen race of people. God was clear to declare this of all mankind. Genesis 6-5 The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in all the earth and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. All of this points to the reality that we live in a war-torn world. And again, when I say war you can't just think battleships and soldiers. You, you, you have to see the spiritual reality of a fallen world that, that is desperate for one thing, a redeemer. Praise God that he didn't just wipe us out as he righteously could have because we were guilty. No, he promised that he would send a redeemer and bring spiritual deliverance and victory for all of his chosen people. Look at what God says next in Genesis 3:15. He speaks of a specific person of Adam and Eve's offspring. He says, he, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So now God's declaration against Satan is focused on a specific person, a he. And what will happen? He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Let's look at the latter before the former. God says to Satan, You shall bruise his head. The word, the English word bruise, there is a soft translation of a Hebrew word that means to gape. To gape means to break wide open. What happens to your life if your heel is broken wide open? Life gets kind of hard, doesn't it? You're in bad shape, you're immobilized. God says that Satan will bust wide open. His heel. Someone is coming in the offspring of mankind that under God's providence, Satan and his offspring will put a serious hurt on him. Church, this is a prophetical picture, declaration of what Christ would go through on the cross of Calvary on our behalf. God also says that the offspring of man, that he... Would bust wide open Satan's head. He shall bruise your head. Again, that word bruise, gate. What happens to a serpent when you break wide open its head? It's a dead, snake, right? It doesn't just shake it off and go on to a new hole. No, it, it's defeated. That's the point. That's the declaration being made here. There's a war now that's going to happen, but he's going to win. You're going to be defeated. There's a very big difference between the hurt that is promised the offspring of the woman to that he would endure and the defeat that the serpent would receive. Church, this little verse in Genesis 3.15 is the game-changing promise of God that God's people have clung to for all generations of mankind. Every generation of mankind would endure this war-torn world waiting for the promised one who would finally come to deliver his chosen people. This has become known as the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel pronouncement in all of history. Genesis 3.15, God declares, He will raise up a man born of woman, a royal redeemer, who will crush and defeat sin and death. This means the promised Messiah would be the Prince of Peace for many. He would forever reign on his throne and rule as victor over all creation. There's so much wonderful scripture, prophecy and fulfillment I could show you. This is the one we all of mankind's been waiting for. And then on one particular starry night in a little town of Bethlehem, he finally arrived. The Advent, the arrival. Sounds like an epic movie, right? That I'm unfolding. Do do you realize that every story is but a shadow or of the story? Right? It's why why this narrative is so familiar in all of our epics. Because all of this creativity of man is all still hinged on the story. Amen? The first to be told that he was here. Lowly shepherds in the fields nearby, listen. Luke two eight through fourteen. The same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone among them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, "Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior." who is Christ, the Lord, Christ, Messiah, the promised royal redeemer, is here. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. There it is again. The angel sang out, Peace on earth. And again, we have to understand, this is not the fulfillment of all the beauty queens who have ever donned their stages to say, the one thing I want is peace on earth. Right? That's, That's not what this is. No, no, listen to what the angels say again. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The clarity of Whom this peace is for is so important. Who is God's peace for? Those with whom he is pleased. Other translations will say, on whom his favor rests. This is the emphasis we see again and again in Scripture, that mankind loves to make war with, fallen mankind loves to make war with this idea, because we love our cake and we want to eat it too. Whether we admit it or not, mankind loves inclusion, loves universal favor. Fallen man does not like the idea that the things or people um, that we love might not be on God's side. Might not be included. But we have to see we're at war. Right? There's not just one team. There's two. Two. There's two sides to every war. The simple truth is that God elects. His scripture is clear to say it again and again. If you have contention with that idea, you have a contention with the word of God. And he saves those whom he chooses. It is his sovereign right as the creator over the creation. This is Paul's direct words in Romans 9. Why does he do this? Because he's God. Because everything he does is holy and right and perfect. And we who are created who say otherwise are only arrogant. For we are the created and he is the creator. He is perfect and we are not. Look at another place we see this declared. It's by another angel who visited Joseph told him in Matthew chapter 1, 20 through 20-21, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So what do we know so far? We know that there is a sobering reality of spiritual war, for all people because of our sin we know that there is a promised redeemer to come to bring peace to a chosen group of people this is truly good news why why is it good news it's good news because God has revealed that he will save many we have to see our flesh wants him just to include all this the heretical view of universalism Just all of us should have a good afterlife. A biblical view of our sin and a right biblical view of a holy God helps us see that none of us are worthy. That he is right. He's a good and right judge to declare us guilty and to condemn us. And so when we come to understand that he saves by his grace some, that should blow our minds. He has every right to wipe us out. Do you realize he did that, right? He did that in the flood, all but one family. Again, it's, some people have a real issue with the fact that God elects, that he chooses. Do you realize he did that at the flood? He chose one family, and he killed everybody else in the flood. Let me remind you where we see that. Genesis 6-5, I just read you this verse. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth... Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I've made them. A lot of anthropomorphic language is being used here. That's by which God, who's perfect, who has no regret, speaks in a way that we can understand. So that's a whole other sermon. So I won't go there. just want to point that out. He says in verse 8, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord has every right to do what he pleases with his creation, for he's the creator. He has the right to choose some and not all. And it's truly good news that he indeed chooses to save some and not condemn all. So with that under our belt, and the fact that this peace is for some, now we've got to stop and climb into, before we get back to our main verse, What is the peace he brings? He's the Prince of Peace. What is that? What is the peace that Jesus brings to to those whom he chooses? To those whom he will be well pleased? Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. See, The world's idea of peace is the absence of conflict. Or the, the, this idea of like emotional calmness but essentially it's the absence of conflict that, that many of us the peace we are hoping for in our daily life is just circumstantial peace illustrated with things like when the kids get along moms, there will be peace right, tracking or when that person apologizes to me, finally we'll have peace or when the debt is finally paid off, peace Or when the ranking authorities over us are finally out of office, then peace. I don't mean to make a political statement there. I think both sides feel that way about each other. You get the point. We must understand that this is an outside-in circumstantial peace. It's momentary. It's fleeting. Why? Because when circumstances change, and they will and they do, then the peace is gone. If you've lived on this rock long enough, you've come to know that. And yet it's so funny how much we long for just circumstantial peace. Jesus says the peace he gives us is different. What he means is it's not temporary. He's not saying I leave you a world or a reality without war or chaos. He doesn't promise us that. Scripture is clear to tell us that there will be great contention. There will be suffering. We're going to get into that in a little bit. Even among those we're closest with. No, the peace that he gives is a truly holistic peace that we experience despite our most horrific circumstantial experiences. Let me take a quick moment and just give you a couple of layers of what this peace is. First, the best, the absolute best part of the peace that Christ gives, only gives, is that we have peace with God. We who trust in him have peace with God. Romans 5.1 Since we have been justified through faith, we trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because of His costly atonement in our place, we're declared justified. We're forgiven of our sin. We receive His righteousness. He takes on our deserved wrath. Because we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Those who are justified by faith in Jesus are no longer enemies of God. We've been reconciled. Is what the word speaks of. This we're now His blood-bought children, adopted into His family. So we have peace with God. This is the best part. Another layer is that we have inner peace. Okay, I'm not saying that in like a uh, 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 like a, a spiritual like hippie kind of way. I'm saying that in a historic shalom kind of way. We have shalom. Philippians 4.7 The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What is that? That means that there is in Christ a peace that we come to know that Transcends our circumstances. So, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of great suffering, there is real peace in Christ. Holistic shalom. It's beyond our understanding. What does that mean? It basically means that I, I, I couldn't explain it to you. And this is much of our witness in a lost world. When people see you going through something really traumatic or hard, and they say, "How how are you at peace?" Like that's that's Jesus. that's that's his work in me that's not me that's not my religion no that's Christ I'm resting in him we also have peace among our blood bought brethren right a lot of you have had a lifetime of a lot of hardship among your families much of that is to continue we'll talk about that in a bit but among our blood bought brethren, our brothers and sisters in Christ, blood bought, not blood, but blood bought by Christ. Colossians 3:15, let there be let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body you are called to live in peace. Christians don't sue each other. We are quick. We make every effort, Paul says in Ephesians 4. To keep the peace we've been given. So when there's a dispute, we, we, we seek each other out. We seek to forgive each other. We give each other the benefit of the doubt. We talk it out. We bring leaders or others around us to help us work it out. We unite. We keep the unity. Why? Because that's a big part of our testimony to a watching world. We have real peace among each other. We have eternal peace. Revelation 21, 1-4. through 4. I, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Church, we who belong to Christ Are not only reconciled to God and have peace with Him now, we will have it forever. If you only hear one thing from me all morning, hear this. You will never know true and lasting peace without Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Everything else you're chasing will let you down, everything else is temporary. Only His death for your sin, only His power at work in your life can give you the true and lasting peace with God, with self, with each other, and for eternity. Amen? Listen, the prophecy of old speak of the promised Messiah's sacrifice in our place and what it brings to those who trust their lives to Him. Isaiah 53.5 He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. Amen. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, turn from your sin and trust Him. What do I mean by that? I don't mean that you walked an aisle in 1982. I don't mean that you have had some church experience. I mean sitting here today... You don't belong to yourself. You have died to yourself, as Paul describes it, and you now live to Christ. You are not the Lord of your own life. Men, you're not the Lord of your home, ultimately. You're the head of your home, but He is the Lord. You live to serve Him. You lead your family by His word and for His glory. We belong to Christ. He is our Lord and our Savior. That's, that's true Christianity. I'd love that we're growing as a church to understand Christianity the way Jesus taught it, not the way maybe we learned it by the traditions of our upbringing, or the false air of prosperity teaching. that Jesus said, "My true disciples, they take up their cross and they follow me. That we who belong to Jesus will suffer." That Jesus died to save you from hell, but not to save you from the cross. Why? Because true Christians take up their cross every day to live and serve Jesus. That's Christianity. There's nothing greater. And we see it in the faithful who have come before us, in every one of them. Do you know and trust Jesus as Lord and Savior? Trusting no longer in yourself or in anything of this created world. Jesus rules over this. He created it and He rules over it. Only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can give you true and lasting peace. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. God is only pleased with those who no longer represent themselves before Him. They have an intercessor. Jesus now represents them. And when he looks upon you, and you belong to Christ, he sees Jesus' perfection laid upon you. No longer your filth. No longer your self-righteousness. He sees the perfect Christ, and he says, You're mine, son, daughter. I'm well pleased with you. Not because of your performance, but because of Christ. Church, the promised Redeemer came. The one whom God said would defeat sin and Satan, his name is Jesus. He came as a baby in a manger. And here's the thing. Too often we're guilty of overlooking the fullnesses of the circumstances of Jesus' arrival, of his advent. I want you to see with me today that, that the way his arrival happened wasn't the warm, cuddly thing we often make Christmas to be. It, it was a birth that happened in the middle of war. And the last thing it was, was comfortable. Now Christmas is special for so many of us, and, 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 and I get this, and I love it too. But, and there's some of you, and I'm not going to mention names. You would keep your house in Christmas decor all year long. <laughs> if the person you lived with would let you. Christmas songs all year long, right? You just love it. You just love Christmas. Right? And I get it. It's a special time. It's a warm time in a cold season, right? It's good, and it's to be cherished. All the lights, the, the fires, the, the flavors, the, the company that we enjoy, is all good. I'm not trying to take that away from you, I pray. It's a real blessing to you. But I want us to climb into the reality that I'm trying to show you that Scripture speaks of, of what that baby in the manger really means. That this is War. we got to see it rightly. Chestnuts roasting an open fire is a great lyric from a great song, Johnny Mathis' album I remember playing on the record player. Some of you who are young, you don't know what a record player is. Ask someone who's old. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's just it. We, we are guilty of really over-clinging to like the temporary comforts of Christmas, which if we're really honest, that's deep down a big part of why we want to kind of like enjoy Christmas all year long. Like consider with me the manger. Consider with me the wartime reality. The, the smell at that first Christmas was not fresh baked apple pie. It was animal feces. It, 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 there, was, there was no bustling fire to cuddle up. It was cold. It was you know, the, the travel to family was not in a modern vehicle with, with seat warmers. It was a pregnant lady on a hundred mile journey on a donkey. I. It, God's sovereign appointment for the arrival of Christ was to be a long-standing reminder to us that this is war. The song we sang before today's sermon's called This Is War. The lyrics are helpful. I pray they're a blessing to you. Here they are again. This is war, like you ain't seen. This winter's long, it's cold and mean. With hangdog hearts, we stood condemned. But the tide turns now at Bethlehem. This is war, and born tonight, the Word as flesh, the Lord of light, the Son of God, the low born King, who demons fear and of whom angels sing. This is war on sin and death. The dark will take its final breath. It shakes the earth. It confounds all plans. The mystery of God as man. I've come to love this song at Christmas time because it's helpful for me to remember the potency of what God is doing at Christmas in Jesus' arrival. The baby in the manger was perfect, pure, and holy but born in the middle of a very dark and bloody reality. The good news, as the song says, the dark will take its final breath. That's pulling from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 5. The light, Jesus, shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Jesus wins. God promised the victory at the onset of the battle and declared as victor the Redeemer. The song says it shakes the earth, it confounds all plans. The arrival of Jesus in this war-torn world shook the earth at its core. It literally, the earth literally trembled as Jesus paid for our sin on the cross. And the arrival of Jesus most definitely confounds our plans. Christian, if your plans have not been confounded because of your life committed to Christ, maybe you don't know Jesus. Because true obedience and faithfulness to Jesus is going to mess with your plans. Your fleshly plans. And, and, and not even the fleshly ones. Maybe many of the good ones. But just by God's providence, he has something different. He has a different road for you to take for the glory of the Lord. And we don't have to go far to consider one who's had her plans confounded. Uh, than a teenage girl who is said to be pregnant, even though she was a virgin. Right? Talk about plans being confounded. She's engaged to be married. You don't mess with a girl's wedding day. And they got messed with big time. Virgin teenage girl gives birth to the promised royal redeemer. Right? There's so much like, what? It's impossible. Virgins don't give birth, period. Period. So Mary has this very same struggle. Luke chapter 1, 34-37. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called holy. Just quickly, again, here's a whole other sermon, but let me just point it out. That line of Adam by which death comes to all mankind, all of us have original sin. We all have the genetic makeup of the fallen. You. So we're born in sin, we're conceived in sin, Scripture says. That's not the case for Jesus, who's holy and perfect. Why? Because he's not from the line of man. He's conceived by the Holy Spirit. The seed is not passed to him. The Son of God, God the Son, would take on flesh and start just like you and I did at conception. And behold... Your relative Elizabeth, even in her old age, has conceived a son. Is in the sixth month. Who is called barren. Elizabeth, her, she, she was unable to have kids all the generations of her life. She's an old lady. And in God's perfect timing, she's now pregnant. What, what are these things? A virgin is pregnant. This old barren lady is pregnant. What? Who, and what is declared? For nothing will be impossible with God. Church, nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe that? You should. Consider the, this news for Mary's life. I mean, she's, her circumstances are not pretty already. I mean, the, the oppression of her reality, of her people. Incredibly high taxation under Caesar. You think inflation and taxation is lame right now? We, we don't know anything of it, what these guys were paying under Caesar in that day. The hate, the brutality of the rulers, the regional ruler of Herod over the, over the Jewish people was, was so wicked. The military force of Rome constantly applied to the Jewish people. That's her reality. And now an unplanned pregnancy, Who was engaged to be married by tradition. Her husband would have her stoned to death, would, would divorce her. What does this do to her wedding plans? Can you imagine what the town begins to say? Oh, no, she's like, no, 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 guys, it's all good. An angel visited me. The Holy Spirit made me pregnant. We're good. (laughs) No, no. No, you're a floozy, lady. You're a liar. Get out of here. There's so many reasons for Mary to be freaking out, Right? The world just got completely turned on its head. Lifelong plans, the best plans of a young woman, have been totally messed with. And so as we consider that, I just want you to take a moment. What of your long-standing plans were messed with, were turned on their head? By God's sovereign decree, or maybe even due to the fact that you were faithful to Christ, and there was consequences because of that? What if, you, what if you didn't walk by faith through that? What if you only clung to what you could see? You'd be wrecked. We never would know the peace that only Christ can give us in the midst of that. And we need that for moving forward, don't we? That's where I want to go in the rest of the series. We consider the wartime reality. Be faithful to the Lord in these things. With all this in mind, now listen carefully to her response scared teenage girl in the midst of an oppressive upbringing arranged marriage news that would rip a young girl's life apart Mary said Luke 1 behold I am the servant of the Lord let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed from her in the midst of chaos on the heels of more chaotic news she is at peace not because her circumstances are working out quite the opposite right but because of who her god is and her faith to trust in him despite what she can't she can't see she doesn't understand but she trusts god brother sister in christ you must see the great gift this is for you this christmas and your and for your entire life we are at war That will not change in this life. Scripture even points to the fact that it likely is going to get worse before we're in glory. What does it look like for us to know real peace in the midst of the storm? For many, this news was, for Mary, this news was only the beginning. Like I mentioned earlier, a hundred mile donkey ride through not paved land, pregnant, fully pregnant right you know the the ladies are just running the other direction giving birth in a dirty animal cave I mean she's at peace church life is hard even life with Christ is hard because we're still at war we don't trust our lives to Jesus and then get a, a Benz and a closet full of our favorite things. And it's like, not the prosperity gospel. It's nonsense. We, we, we choose Jesus. We trust Jesus despite great hardship, suffering, even death. Because we've discovered that there is nothing more wonderful, more supreme than Him. And everything pales in comparison to it. She says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. If you are in charge of your life, and you've not truly surrendered to God in all things, that means you're trying to hold on to the controls. You're trying to control how it goes. And so no wonder you're, why you're stressed all the time. Because life don't work that way. No wonder why you're freaking out. Mary has every opportunity to doubt God, to make excuses to run away. She's totally ill-equipped. Uh, incapable by her own story to that point. But she didn't respond in her flesh. She didn't respond with what seemed wise. In her mind, she just trusted God by faith. We must understand we are powerless for real peace by ourselves. Why? Because we're, because we're sinners, because we struggle in the flesh. When we overclaim to the things that God's created, and they let us down, which they will, then we, then we could be broken. We can be undone. I, I always talk about, and we think about idolatry as like bowing before a stone idol or. No, idolatry is anything you, you make more important to your life than the Lord. And the thing that for most of us is that, is tempting that, are the, are the people you're sitting next to your spouse, your children. And sadly, many will sell out to serve their idol, to keep their idol, because at the end of the day, they haven't really truly died to self to belong to Christ. The psalmist got it. Psalm thirty-eight, eighteen. I'm full of anxiety because of my sin. Our sin causes us to be idolaters, to overcling, and then when it doesn't go well and it breaks down and our plans are confounded, then then we freak out. We have stress. There's no peace. The good news of Jesus' arrival is forgiveness of sin, salvation from sin, and the power of Christ, and, and and the peace of Christ to reign despite our circumstances. That's the key. So I ask you, Christian, are you truly at peace in Christ despite what you're facing in the here and now? Not just because you're good at saying those words, but because that's really where your heart's at. Are you faithful in the midst of our war-torn world when sin rages at righteousness? When your blood family mocks or challenges your commitment to your blood-bought family? When injustice is happening all around. Christian, what is your response when your blood family draws lines for you or mocks your blood-bought family? Because that will happen. Those things that are most likely to be the greatest idols of our hearts, there will be division. The war is there. And that was Jesus' point in our main passage. Look at it with me. Matthew ten thirty four. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have come not to bring peace but, to a, but a sword. When Jesus says I've come not to bring peace to earth, he's not contradicting what the prophet said or what he's even said. That peace is for his people. And it's amazing. It's just not peace to all mankind like the beauty queens want. He's saying, I don't come to bring temporary circumstantial peace. He comes to redeem his people from the darkness and give real peace to us now and forever. But he also comes to bring another layer to our spiritual warfare. When he says, I come to bring a sword. What is a sword? A sword is a tool of war. It it cuts apart. It divides what we read in our passage is that Jesus came to initiate the exclusivity of the gospel. The fact that not all are saved. Christ comes to save those whom God has sovereignly chosen. He comes to claim for himself a people that will believe in him and worship for him forever. A people who will stand apart from those who deny him, even if it costs them a lot to do so. See with me, watch this. Jesus came to break up mankind's unity. What was our unity? Mankind was a united race doomed to judgment because of our sin. But Christ came to save many who now stand apart from those who are still condemned. Again, Jesus' coming is not this cute, cuddly... You know, scene and baby clothes and balloons and party cake. It is an all-out war on sin and death on behalf of God's people. and it is to initiate the war between those who will lay down their lives and trust Jesus and then those who will stand for their own glory and deny him. We have to have clear view of this because then when this happens, we can be guilty of going, God, what are you doing? Jesus was really clear, this, this will happen, because of where your allegiances are. He came to defeat the enemy on the cross, win the war against sin and death, but also to initiate a new layer of the war that we find our sins now, a war between faithful followers and those who stand opposed to him. Look at the couple verses just prior to our main verse, Matthew 10, 32-33. Everyone who acknowledges me before man, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before man, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. He came to draw a line of clear distinction, saying, you are with me or you are against me. There is no in-between. There's only two sides to this war. What does it mean to be with Jesus? Jesus. What is our wartime reality in these days, right now, that God gives us under the sun, as we're called to make much of his name, and to make disciples to the ends of the earth? It means that you who are 100% faithful to him and trusting of him, will serve him and remain faithful without compromise. Jesus is clear to say that for many... That won't just mean war out there. It will mean war at your very table, in your very home. Read with me what Jesus says next. Matthew 10, 34-37 Do not think that I have come to bring peace to earth. I've come not, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And there it is. Jesus not being mean. He's just pointing out, are you an idolater who loves something more than God? Or you are in love and devoted to me above all else that means when a line is drawn you will stand on the right side of that you won't compromise in sin in order to keep hold of the idols of your heart real devotion to christ means that there will be an element of war that plays out in our very own households division and war is not so bad when you're at odds with your boss your enemy maybe your neighbor Maybe society in general. But when when it's with those who have meant the most to you in this life, until Christ, it's serious. Our families. Division and war is not so bad in these other elements, but it's hard when it comes to our home. Jesus is saying our utter devotion to Him as Savior and Lord will mean that there will be a reality of being at odds with those who are against Him. What did Jesus say? They will hate you because they hate me. And how does this play? Well, for those who are truly surrendered to Christ, it means you're adopted into a new family, the family of God. That has interrupted your place in the blood family, to many degrees. Right? You can see how that would be contentious for someone who doesn't have spiritual discernment, doesn't trust God, doesn't love God. You know, and maybe many of you have heard that. You've heard, I don't get this devotion to your church, to, to, to the scriptures. Like, hey, go do your church thing. But, but they want you to do it on their terms. They definitely don't like the fact that Christ has claimed your highest affection over your love and devotion for them. Right? Many spouses would, 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 would be completely put off by the idea that their spouse would be more madly in love with someone other than themselves. And yet, when I rightly understand Scripture, I want my wife to be more madly in love with God than me by leaps and bounds. Because I can't be what he can be to her. And only when she's that in love with him does his other-centered love flow into our marriage, making it night and day better. A non-spiritually discerned person doesn't get that. They're offended by it. Your non-saved loved one's allegiance is to a different authority, whether they know it or not. A sinful authority that is about their name, their legacy, their glory. And it's all clinging to the here and now. Jesus is saying the mark of a true disciple of Christ is a radical devotion to God in comparison to all else. That's a declaration of war to those who do not share your devotion to God because it betrays the allegiance to each other that you want shared Now if you're struggling with this Okay pastor it's Christmas can we do something softer Like that song you're like hey let's not do that song let's let's do the nice Christmas songs we all know right what is this song some of you barely made it through the worship set I'm out of here this is Let's see, Jesus is saying, this is why I came. We need to understand that there's layers to His work and through us in this reality and so that it gives us an improved, a deeper, a fuller vi- view of the incarnation, of what He's doing in here and now and helping us through this wartime reality. I want you to know wartime peace, but we also have to understand the realities of the fact that we are at war because your flesh wants to cling to raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens and, and those things that we just love to like superficially hold to. Now, this doesn't mean I'm saying you are to go make war with your family, to be arrogant and brash. No, we're to love. We, we are to witness. But, but when a line is drawn and, and you're told it's us or him, you choose Jesus every time. No matter the cost, no matter the tears. Because He is greater, because He is more important. Even if they spit in your face. Even if they walk away. And this is potentially where your faith in Christ, your devotion to Christ is most tested. Spouse, kids, parents. The sobering sad reality is for some who claim to be Christian, claim to belong to Christ, they do not take a stand for Christ, his truth, his authority in the name of maintaining family harmony scripture would argue you're not loving them if not loving them in truth Some claim that Jesus is on the throne, but when it comes to appeasing family and their sin, even participating in it for the sake of of love or or harmony, we, we betray the one that we are to be devoted to. And reveal that maybe Christ really isn't king in my life. God's word tells us that knowing Christ means everything that we once clung to pales in comparison. Paul speaks of it this way, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. Paul went through a lot of loss. I don't have, again, I don't have time to show you all that. Beatings, imprisonment, estrangement, uh, the, the people he once ran with, he had a name, his legacy, his career, all that was trashed. He truly lost a lot. He says, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, he's not necessarily saying that many of those good things that he loves are rubbish. He's just saying in comparison to Christ, he is so amazing that they're like rubbish in comparison. Now, again, one who doesn't know what it is to truly know Christ and belong to Christ, they're going to be offended by that. The narrow road is narrow for a reason, church. When Christ is everything, you're not clinging to all that other stuff you once found your identity in, your treasure in. You just need Jesus. True faith in Jesus is a commitment that no other influence can sway Let me be clear. We're called to love our enemies. So we are surely then to love our unbelieving family too. To be a witness. To be a light. Right? I know some of you even wrestled with this just a few days ago at Thanksgiving. The family that's just so hard to be around. But you don't serve the flesh. We're given these days to be a light. It's not about us. Our paradise is coming. Again, we don't claim to the temporary. This is a battlefield. It's a mission field. But God's word is clear to say that if you're a real disciple, your commitment to the, to the salvation found only in Christ is so deep, so profound, so far-reaching, that you will say no if you need to. You will even be willing to lose those that you love if they're going to draw a line in the stand or, or, or call you to betray what faithfulness to Him looks like. You will not go there. You will not endorse their sin. You will not partner with them in it. And the reality I know from many of you in the room is that some of you are hated by your blood, blood families because of your love and your devotion to Jesus. You've literally been disowned. I've sat with you, I've walked this road with you as you've needed to love them in truth and it meant real heartache. They, they wanted you to compromise and you didn't. And you were still praying for them. And what's glorious is to see some of them finally be given eyes to see and ears to hear and to repent and believe. And we continue to pray for them until the Lord calls it done. And, and, And I want you to see that you might be losing some of your blood family, but you've gained a larger family. There's another text that says, Those who've given up fathers and mothers and houses get a hundredfold. But what does that mean? It means your blood bought family is a hundredfold better, actually better than your blood family. Do you realize that? Your blood family is God's provision for a time. It's His design by which you would be conceived and born and raised. It's to serve a temporary purpose. Your blood-bought family, your brothers and sisters in Christ, you will be with forever. They're not just for a time. You will worship the King together in unity with them. giving you a new family church all this is to remind us of the spiritual reality so much more important than the physical one all of this temporary has to be stewarded in light of the eternal our witness to others including our blood family is what matters most our devotion to Christ our peace in Christ is critical for enduring the war that we are in And so join me this morning as we begin this journey over the next few weeks to not see the cozy manger, but the cold and war-torn reality that the Redeemer came to save us from and to empower us in as we continue on this path until He takes us home. We are at war. As a Christian, you need to see that. Right? We will suffer. We will. Listen to Jesus' words, John 16, 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Do you see right there? In me you will have real peace. In the world, in the temporary reality, you will experience real tribulation. But take heart. Why? Why? Because Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Amen? That's the victory. That's the victory that God promised. It happened. He reigns on high. He's coming again. We walk. We live. We serve him in the midst of it all in peace. Faithful to the end. Hear it one more time as we get ready to close. This is war like you ain't seen this winter's long, it's cold and mean. With hangdog hearts, we stood condemned. The tide turns now at Bethlehem. This is war and born tonight. The Word is flesh, the Lord of light. The Son of God, the low-born King, who demons fear and of whom angels sing. This is war on sin and death. The dark will take its final breath. It shakes the earth. It confounds all plans. The mystery of God is man. This is Christmas. It's war. I pray you have a new grip on your wartime peace and a readiness for what's ahead as we look at the different layers of what this means and how we might be good stewards of this Maybe even given some of our current circumstances we find ourselves in. For all for the glory of God. Praise God for the incarnation of Jesus. Amen. For his arrival and his victory on the cross on our behalf. May we have a right view of our wartime peace. Be good stewards of it. By his grace and for his glory. Pray with me and then we're going to sing. And then we're going to have a real special moment. So don't leave because you don't want to miss it. And then we'll go. Father, we thank you for this time. What a joy it is to, to gather, to prioritize the gathering of the saints on a Sunday morning. Uh, to be a blood-bought family. To, to grow, to love each other. Thank you for the diversity of our church. Thank you for all the things you're doing in and through us. And we, we want to be good stewards of these days. We want to have a right view, Lord, of who you are and what you're doing. We want to just be filled with gratitude and praise for the grace you've shown us. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Christ. For we deserved your wrath, your punishment. Because of our sin, you, by your grace, have saved us, set us free. Help us to not keep our light under a basket, but to be a bright light. Help us to love people, not according to their terms, but according to what your word said is truth. We praise you. God with us. Emmanuel, we, we celebrate you. Be glorified in us. Hear us as we sing in Jesus' name. Amen.